I want to be talking about building and uh, back in high school when I was 17 years old. Yes, I was 17 once, young people. When I was 17 years old, we had the year before when I was 16, we'd gone to the homecoming bonfire. I don't know if they still do that. Probably don't do that anymore. But we used to have a homecoming bonfire. The year before and the several years before that, it had been little bitty fires. I mean, like, you know, about the size of this, whatever that thing is. And hardly anything. They got, I think they get up about that high and that was it. And about five or six of my friends said, you know, that's pitiful. We thought, this is energy for a game you want to win. Next year, we're going to have a bonfire. And so we proceeded to do it. The next year, the homecoming was coming up. And for a week, we gathered logs and tore down an old building we found out in the middle of nowhere. Probably belonged to somebody. But we tore it down and uh, brought in the wood. We, we gathered boxes and you, you name it. And when we got through, we had a teepee. It was about 20 foot tall. It was big. Probably 15, 20 foot across the bottom. And then the night of the bonfire, which was a Thursday night, I don't know why we're having a game on Thursday night, I guess, or it was in preparation, I don't know how, I don't remember. I'm so old now, folks, I'm glad I'm remembering this much. And so it was somebody's job to pour kerosene in the top of it, and because I was the littlest guy, they I was skinny and small then, so they gave me the job to climb up to the top of it and pour the kerosene down it. That's great, except my friends went out and bought gasoline. So I had about between three and five gallons of gasoline, and I told them, if I see a match, I will kill you. When If I just see one, do not even flick anything, okay? Because I'll be dead. If I survive, I will kill you. And so I climbed to the top, and I poured it down the middle of it, and then came down. And we made a torch and told everybody, stand back 50 feet. That wasn't far enough. When we threw the torch, it was kind of the oddest thing. It's kind of like these movie scenes where you see this billow circle come out. It was a blue circle that <laughs> came out of that thing. And the grass is catching on fire 15 feet out from it as it happens. So, and we started at 50 feet and we were all back at 100, 150 feet. The flame of this reached between 100 and 150 feet in the air. And could be seen from a town 10 miles away where they sent a fire department out to check upon it. The, before we did all this, we checked it out with the principal. The principal was good with it. He was okay with us building a really big bonfire. I was all great. He just said, I expect you to camp out here and make sure the fire goes out. Okay? That's all I expect. You can do it. And to have the fire department there, which we did, volunteer fire department. And so the volunteer fire department put the fire out. I mean, they put a lot of water on it. We let it burn down, and we were certain it was out. There was no steam. There was no smoke. Couldn't feel any heat. It was out, and we said, we don't need to spend the night here. It's 12 o'clock at night, so we all went home. Next morning, the principal called our names over the intercom. Every one of us marched up there and says, so, did anybody spend the night up here? And we all said, no. He said, come with me. And we went out there, and it was almost a fire. What was left was on fire. So we thought we were master builders. 
But we didn't complete. We did not finish our job. Jesus finished his job. It's important not just to begin something, but to finish it and construct appropriately. Uh, Don't claim that at all. Uh, I don't know if y'all have noticed it. Have you been by the property? There's a sign up. Have you seen it? On the property. Yeah, we may be getting closer. I, I I do want you to understand that... Okay, this quit working. And I got no clicker, so... If y'all want it to turn, you're going to have to see. Try that. Did that work? Oh, look, it did move. Look at that. That's great. That's not where I want to go, though, yet. All right. Uh, theoretically, about a year from now, we may have a building. But what I want to talk about at the beginning of this year, since it's going to be the beginning of that, is spiritual construction. And this is going to be the first of about six or seven lessons in the series of pattern and patternicity in construction. We're going to look at today, Lord willing, the pattern of Jesus. We'll look at, Lord willing, next week, the pattern of grace, then the pattern of construction, which relates to some of the mechanics of actually building a church, a congregation, and what's essential for that. Uh, We'll talk about that next week. And uh, then there's the pattern of soundness, what we expect, what the scriptures talk about that, the pattern of service, and then we'll look at the pattern of failure. So that's where we're going to go over the next few weeks. We must build God's church, God's way, with His help. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that do build it. If we're not building it according to His pattern, His plan, it shouldn't succeed anyway. We, we begin with, behold the pattern of Jesus, for he is the foundation of this series and of the kingdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 9 through 17 is a great text. I'd love to read all that. Let me just read about two or three verses beginning in verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. Does this sound familiar? You are God's field. You are God's building. And then verse 10, according to the grace of God which was given me, As a wise master builder, which I am not, I have laid the foundation, that's critical, and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So in the foundation, there's basically, we're going to look at three patterns that are talked about in scripture that you're supposed to follow. We're going to build our lives, build the church upon the pattern of Jesus. What should we be paying close attention to? Number one, if we're going to follow the pattern of Jesus, we have to follow the pattern of his soul, his spirit, his mind. Philippians 2 and verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We are to think like Jesus. We are to have the attitude of Jesus. We are to have the mindset of Jesus. We are to have the spirit of Jesus. Quite honestly, we are to have the soul of Jesus. We are to follow that. What would that do? Well, if we do that, if we follow his pattern of his soul, 
it will display itself. And it will display itself in our character. Luke chapter 6 and verse 40 says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. If you're not like Jesus, it says something, right? But if we're really followers and claim to be in the church, in the kingdom, we should be like our teacher. I'm not your teacher. Jesus is the teacher. Not a teacher. He is the teacher that we are to be like. Uh, John 8, 31 says, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So if you pay attention to what he says... You become like him. John 13, 35 says, you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So you should have the same heart I have, which is a love for everyone that's in the kingdom. That's where we're to go. John 15, verse 8, bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. That means that we should do good things, including saving others. And that should be gladly that we want to think like Jesus. Amen? Should gladly want to do it. That shouldn't be a hardship to anyone. You should want it desperately. But also, if we follow the pattern of his soul, uh, it's going to be displayed in who our critics are. In Matthew 10, which is a parallel to Luke 6.40, it says this, beginning in verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? What I just read a minute ago. But it's in Matthew 10 now. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. Verse 25. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher. Sounds familiar. And a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, that means Lord of the flies, that means like the king of the devils, how much more will they call those of his household? Should it surprise you that we in even America are ridiculed for our faith? Should that surprise you at all? We should gladly receive that rebuke. Amen? Gladly have them say ugly things about Jesus. Gladly expect it. I expect more of it, and it's okay. There are Christians being killed all over the world because they are Christians. It's the way it should be because that's the way of the world. Not because it's the right thing, but because that's the way of the world. And Jesus told us it'd be that way. So in the foundation of Jesus, we follow the pattern of his soul. And in the pattern of his soul, we should expect to develop his characteristics. And then we should expect to have his critics. They killed him. Should you expect much better? Should you really expect on the news them to say, Oh, Christians are the most wonderful people on earth and we should all listen to them. Of course not. Of course not. The second truth. We follow the pattern of his service. If we're going to follow him, which is the commitment of the scriptures. And by the way, this is not just kind of foundational. This is the most important thing. If you're going to be a Christian, it ain't about being in the church. First, it's about being like Jesus. It's called Christian, like Christ, right? All right, John chapter 13, verses 20, 12 through 15 says, So when he, that's Jesus, 
had washed their feet. That's right. The Son of God, who came here as a baby, willing to die on the cross, changed his clothes, got a basin and a towel, and washed his twelve disciples' dirty feet. And washed their feet, taking his garment and sat down again. So he put his clothes back on. He said to them, do you know what I've done to you? And they're all going, yeah, wash your feet. Verse 12, you call me teacher and Lord. And you say, well, for so I am. Verse 14, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And he's not trying to say, if we don't go around washing everybody's feet in a worship service, something like that, they know we're followers of the Lord. That's not his point. He's talking about the need that was there meeting it. Verse 15, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. So he's saying, this is something we all ought to do. Now, this doesn't mean if you haven't washed somebody's feet, which by the way is a wonderful thing if you want to do that. But if you haven't washed somebody's feet, you're not following his example. But you don't have to do that literally because what he's talking about is something bigger, a bigger idea. And that is that if we really follow him, we will follow him in his service and it will be displayed in our humility. There's nothing more gross than dirty feet. Well, I won't go that far, but it's close. Okay, it's pretty close, isn't it? Dirty, stinky feet. To put your hands on somebody else's feet is an act of humility. But more than that, it will also be displayed in helpfulness. The idea was something that needed to be done. If you're going to have a proper meal in the way they laid with feet in front of face or behind their face, feet behind face, feet behind face, that's how they sat around a table. Then you want the feet to be clean, right? It's kind of important. So it is to be helpful. If we are going to be helpful, if we're going to be humble, then we must be willing to serve the most immature among us and the most elderly among us. The most difficult people there are to serve are the babies. (coughs) They're the most difficult. And the old ones, you know. And serve them. With bedpans, with diapers, with wiping the drool, we need to be there. So in the foundation of Jesus, we follow the pattern of his service. Now you may be thinking, well, where's all the doctrine here? You don't get this right? It doesn't matter what you believe. You can believe anything you want about the church. You don't get this right, you're not a follower of Jesus. Because this is, we're talking about the rubber meeting the road here. This is following Jesus, which is what we're called to do. Thirdly, we follow the pattern of his sacrifice. And this is the passage that read a while ago. I'll read a little more. Verse 21 that uh, Luke read, he said, For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that word again, that pattern. That you should follow his steps. Literally how he walked. Verse 22. Who committed no sin. We should follow that too by the way. Right? Who committed no sin. Nor was deceit found in his mouth. Don't lie. 
don't do wrong. Verse 23, when he was reviled, that's rebuked, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Verse 24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sin, might live. What will happen if we're going to follow Jesus? We will sacrifice. And I'm not talking about money necessarily, but let's go down the list of some things that is expected, okay? Take a good long look. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19, if we begin to follow his example of sacrifice, it will be displayed in our purpose. Matthew 4, 19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Evangelism. Have you tried to win a soul? You don't have to win a soul. But if you're going to follow Jesus and you don't ever speak up for him, you're not following his sacrifice because it's uncomfortable to speak to somebody else about your faith. It's uncomfortable. It's not pleasant. They often will criticize you for doing it. Also, it will be displayed in our priorities. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 21, it says, Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. At some point, you need to develop a little thing called zeal. Not just a priority, but a zeal of priority. Stop being this, oh, ho-hum, we got to go to church again. If that's your attitude, you haven't caught on to what we're talking about here. You missed it. A zeal that puts him above all. Mark chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. It will be displayed in our professions, in even what we do for a living. I want to share with you something that I discovered here that I didn't know, and I think everybody's been wrong on it. And when I say everybody, I mean everybody that I've ever read on this subject appears to be wrong on it. That's saying something. So y'all probably go home and decide I'm wrong, which is fine. Mark chapter 2, 14 through 17. I noticed something I never noticed before. It's talking about Matthew. It says, he saw Levi. Well, you hear he's not called Matthew, right? You know who Levi means he's a family of? The Levites. Never noticed that before. You noticed that before? But it's critical in understanding who he was. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, which, by the way, indicates he is the brother of James. Did you pick up on that? James, the son of Alphaeus. Matthew doesn't point that out. He was Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, not the tax table, not at the seat of the tax like the Romans did. There was actually a building, and it was a tax office which indicates it's not the tax that we thought it was. Because all my life I've been taught that Matthew was a tax collector for Rome. It doesn't appear that he was. Because, number one, he's a Levite. He's collecting for who? Oh, yeah. And he said, follow me. So he rose and followed him. As he was dining in Levi's house, had a house. Many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? In verse 17, Jesus heard this. He said, 
Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The point that we need to gather out of all of that is it affected what he was doing with his life. He left that and followed Jesus. It'll change your job. Some folks don't need to be doing what they're doing for a living. That's never talked about. Have y'all noticed that? (laughs) That's just never talked about. And that's almost a bridge too far. You know, some folks ought not be doing the job they're doing. I'm not calling out anybody because I don't know. You're going to have to deal with that yourself. But this case, it made him change his profession. Interesting. Also to display itself in our people. Matthew chapter 10 verses 37 through 39. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. I love my mama, my daddy. You love your mom and daddy? You love your mom and daddy more than you love me? Jesus says, you're not mine. You're not following me yet. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I love my kids. You love your kids? You'd die for your kids, wouldn't you? But if you love them more than me... You're not following me yet. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. You you know, I love my life. You want to die? I don't want to die. You want to die? And he said, if you're not willing to die for me, you're not following me yet. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. There ought to be a greater loyalty to Jesus. Amen? It's uncomfortable, isn't it? Have you noticed this is kind of tough? It's tough talk. But it's the difference between saying you're a follower of Jesus and being a follower of Jesus. That's really where it's at. It will also display itself in our prophets. Listen to Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. If anyone desires to come after me, follow him. Let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Same thing we just read, different text though. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Verse 26. For what profit? Now he's talking about profit, right? Profit. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world, loses his own soul? You know, if you're crooked in your business dealings, you're crooked in your business dealings. And if you do that, you're not following him. You're lying about what you do. You're lying about yourselves. It's crooked. It should change our profits and our profit motivation. It's tough talk, isn't it? It's because this is the foundational concept. What's strange is, is that we've been following the Lord for a long time, and this is still tough talk to us. That's strange. Also, it will, cha- will display itself in our possessions. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 20 through 22, it says, The young man said to him, All these things I've kept from my youth, the commandments. What, I, what do I still lack? If I want to be perfect, what do I lack? Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, if you really want to get there where you could just be just doing everything right, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven and come follow me. You can be one of my disciples running around with me. Verse 22, But when the young man heard this saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. There should be no thing in your attic, in your garage, in your house, or parked outside that means more to you than Jesus Christ. 
And it will display itself in our places. John chapter 12, verse 26. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. Two or three. You've been in a service with two or three? I've been in worship with two or three. Would you have been here this morning if only two or three had shown up? You should. Because it's got nothing to do with how many's in the room. It has everything to do with the fact that you ought to be where the Lord's at. The Lord's here this morning. I'm glad you're here. Amen. Aren't you glad you're here? Well, maybe not after this. But in the foundation of Jesus, we follow the pattern of His sacrifice. These are tough things to think about. So here's, here's the truth, and this is what we've learned today. He's the foundation of all we believe, and therefore we should follow the pattern of His soul, where His heart is. We should follow the pattern of His service, be helpful and humble. And we should follow the pattern of His sacrifice. And living, in many ways, austere compared to the people around us. It is more what Jesus did than what he said that changes the world. I mean, he could have preached all he wanted. And none of us would be following him today. He could have said everything he said. And there'd be nobody hardly following Jesus today. That isn't what makes us follow Him. Those are wonderful things. Do unto others, you'd have them do unto you. Man slap you on your cheek, turn it off to the other. And not a one of us. I wouldn't be here. I would not be following Him today because He said nice things. A lot of people said nice things. We listen because of what He did. He saved the world. He died on a cross and He rose again. Folks, Nobody's going to listen to you and me until they see something. I'd rather have an example than precept any day. I'm glad my Savior walks with me, not merely points the way. The eye is a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but example is always clear. The greatest Of all teachers was my Lord who lived his creed. For to see good put in action is what all his people need. I may not fully understand the doctrines I've received, but there's no misunderstanding how he loved and how he lived for me. That's Edgar Guest. So it is more what you do than what you preach. That's why your kids end up living like you and not what you taught them to do. That's the trouble we have. I would not give much for your religion, someone said, unless I can see it. Lamps do not talk, but they do shine. I remember this. Brother Flavel Nichols was the son of my preacher growing up. I listened to him preach quite a few times. He preached for 70 years, died when he was 99. You know, words are cannonballs. An example is the gunfire that makes them go. It wasn't his preaching that got me. In fact, I wasn't a big fan of Brother Flavel Nichols. I don't mean to disrespect him. He wasn't on my hit parade. 
I didn't ever think too much about him. I've heard him preach many times. Preached at the congregation. Dad would have him come in and preach for us. Sermon, mostly boring to me. I like you. Get bored, just like you, some of you are right now. Get bored, you know. It's tough to get through a sermon sometimes, isn't it? Especially if it's irritating. So I understand that. And I thought, okay. But my wife and I were over at the Florida School of Preaching in a lectureship one day. And he and Mary, that's his wife, were there. Now, he died when he was right at 100 years old. And he was well known all throughout the brotherhood at this time. And he spent an hour to an hour and a half with just my wife and I, and we are nobody. I saw an example that day that set him above all other preachers to me because he was spending time with a nobody and his wife. And my wife and I walked away from there and said, that's who we want to be. That's the person. See, it is the example, not your mouth moving. Your example of life, how you treat others, how you live that makes a difference. It is your soul. It is your service. It is your sacrifice. Quit telling me what you believe. Show me. Show me. If you're here today and you want to become a follower of Jesus... That's what we're trying to do. Poorly at times, but that's all we're trying to do. You're called to that just like us. And when you begin to follow Jesus, then you recognize when he began, what did he do? He was baptized. You want to be a follower of Jesus and claim to be a follower of Jesus and you're not baptized? You follow Jesus and you won't be baptized. Now, he not sinned, so he didn't really need to be baptized to be forgiven. He needed to be baptized to obey the Lord. And you won't even do it to be, obey the Lord. Isn't that interesting? You're going to follow Jesus. Then I would suggest that you believe in Jesus. And if you really believe in Jesus, you should say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the risen Lord. And if you're willing to say, I believe Jesus Christ is the risen Lord, then you ought to try to live like Jesus. That means you've got to repent because he lived a perfect life. So you need to try to repent. And then you need to be baptized because if you're going to follow the risen Lord, he was baptized and you need to be baptized because you need to be forgiven. Now, if that gets you, then remember this. You're not done. Your whole soul needs to be changed. Your service needs to change and your sacrifice needs to change. And if you're willing to listen to that and you're willing to receive it, then you're ready to follow Jesus. Won't you come and follow Jesus?